are currently in the first international break of 2019, which means we'll shift our focus a little bit on this week's Footy Talks podcast. The other Reds, the Canadian men's national team, are in action on Sunday at BC Place in Vancouver as they wrap up CONCACAF Nations League qualifiers against French Guyana. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and ahead on the show, we will talk all things Canadian men's national team and give a quick update on Toronto FC as well. To do all that... As I mentioned, it's the international break, which means Gavin Day is back on the show. Gavin, thanks for joining us. Hello, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, anytime, uh, anytime we get a chance to talk uh, Canadian men's national team, uh, as I've always said, there's there's a select few who kind of know what they're talking about fully when it comes to the team, and uh, definitely you're right up there in, in terms of the knowledge. So um, let, let's start with. I guess what's kind of the biggest news right now surrounding the Canadian men's national team, and that's actually an absence from uh, the roster going into this game uh, on Sunday, that being Alfonso Davies. Um, <laughs> sad for the marketing of this game, certainly. I mean, it was at BC Place. It was supposed to be the big homecoming for Fonzie after his big move to, to Bayern Munich, uh, you know, in the in the winter transfer window. Um, this was obviously his first game back and, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be there. Uh, in fact, uh, c- confirmation today that he has a strained ligament in his knee, uh, apparently while celebrating his first goal with Bayern Munich and, uh, any hope that, uh, he would be joining the team for that match appears to be, um, uh, out of question. There was some talk, maybe he might come come there in kind of a PR standpoint and, and join the team. But even that looks uh, unlikely at this point as the, the Bayern medical staff appear, um, unlikely to to want him to travel um i guess the conspiracy theorists will will always come out when something like this happens just because uh you know a club like Bayern munich they probably don't necessarily want their players playing on on turf in vancouver against a a team like french guyana but uh i don't know i feel like i I feel like this probably you know alfonso would want to be here if uh um if he was actually fit to play yeah i mean well for one camp doesn't really sort of make a conspiracy in my mind if you know if there's a trend that starts to form where he starts picking up this and that for every time he was supposed to fly off to Canada <laughs> then maybe I'll believe you know something there but uh, I think most importantly it's a lesson maybe not to celebrate in so hard in a five or six nil game or whatever it was uh, I think at that <laughs> point in time yes it's your first goal and, and kudos to that but um you know, I look at Barry Sanders of the NFL. He, you know, he would score his touchdowns and then he would toss the football to the referees. And so, uh, maybe we'll 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 stop the uh, the hype conspiracy theory train right now. But uh, we'll see we'll see what future camps hold for him and whether or not he he starts picking up more and more injuries as as Canada plays. But you know, since Canada has mostly been in mothballs the last several months, then uh, we don't really have anything to base it on. So it's one camp, and, and I'm going to hold off on the on the uh, the suspicion for now. All right there, Don Cherry, on the uh, lack of celebrating on the <laughs> six-goal 
Uh, no, but fair enough. Uh, you know, uh, I certainly think that, uh, like you said, if if this becomes a trend, and especially, uh, I mean, Canada has more important games coming up certainly than this one. Um, while it is important in in obviously the the sense of Canada qualifying for the A League of Nations League and the Gold Cup, although that's kind of wrapped up as well, I, I think that um, th- it's pretty much assured at this point that Canada will do both of those things. Uh, you never want to quite say that with the national team program, but at the same time, uh, two other absences from this one's uh the captain scott arfield is out as well um will johnson is out with a concussion he was kind of a surprise inclusion for me in, in the first place anyways he hasn't really been uh in the national team kind of conversation with uh, since john herdman joined but uh this isn't necessarily you know as bad as it used to be i mean back in the day if canada was missing probably their top offensive player you know their captain and and one other uh you know at least decent contributor um you know it would look tough for the team but they still seem to have so many offensive options here and it just kind of uh gives an opportunity for for maybe some other players who wouldn't have started in in davies and arfield's place to to now have an opportunity here and it's you know it kind of it shows the depth of this team that maybe they didn't have in the past yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the last Gold Cup, the the measured success that they had in that tournament was largely on Davies. Um, mm-hmm. With him out, you have Hutchinson in. You have these 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 promising talents that um, have 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 shown glimpses in the previous games. I, you know, you could say that this is maybe the toughest one they'll face in this qualification stage. Uh, French mm-hmm. Guiana, you know. Floral Maluda is not there, but they'll still be a, a, a decent enough team. But it's still not, you know, we're still in the honeymoon phase where um, they haven't really gotten those tough tests yet. So with that, you know, with Arfield Johnson Davies um, out, there still is, yeah, like you said, there still is plenty of young talent that uh, in a game at home, there there is enough to to get a result and. You know, like I said, with with it being the honeymoon phase, anything other than a win would be cause for a small amount of concern. But uh, you would expect the the job to be done. Yeah, certainly, and uh, I guess these misses are, are kind of also bad for for another reason. Uh, that being, uh, this is kind of a pretty important camp for Canada as they gear up for the Gold Cup. I mean, uh, we saw the roster John Herdman called in. You would think this is kind of the core of his national team now, and this was an opportunity to uh, you know, especially with, as you mentioned, they've been in mothballs, as you called it, uh, for quite a while now. They they didn't really have a January camp as, as they kind of have in the past, and, and this group hasn't really been together all that much. So, uh, you know, this face time and, and time together to work tactically and, and kind of find out which of these players, uh, you know, will be playing together come come the Gold Cup is, is so important. Uh, so this was a big opportunity to do that. And sometimes the camp, you know, can be more important than, than the game that gets played over a window. But uh, not having our field there, not having Davies there, uh, that, that has to be a little bit tough considering you would think both of those players on a full-strength Canadian men's national team will be starting. Oh, agreed. And uh, it's it still is, I don't know what the word is, confusing to me as to why they haven't, you know, taken the opportunity to, you know, get a January camp or, or, or what have you. I mean, especially looking at the, the recent under-20s where a lot of those guys, they essentially just showed up right before the tournament and looked like they had. And so, um, yeah. you know, with the Gold Cup coming, I want to take any opportunity that I could to get a team in camp. And, uh, you know, you talk to players and, and there's nothing quite like getting into a national team camp that, that you can't, uh, 
sort of replicate. And so we'll see how long the, the warm-up camp is prior to, uh, to prior to Gold Cup, whether or not there will be any friendlies. But, um, yeah, this is, this is a very important, you know, if this is it before they line up against, you know, teams X, Y, and Z in the Gold Cup, um, you know, they, they need to maximize this. And having, the, if there is the, the one drawback to those, those key guys out, you know, guys like Davies is, is uh, you know, having those linchpins not there and suddenly expecting them to fit in seamlessly come, come June. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three uh, the replacements that were announced for for those players are uh, Toronto FC's Jay Chapman and Liam Frazier, as well as uh, Kamal Miller. Uh, I think him for me is kind of the most interesting one. We we talked about a bit about him on the podcast last week before it was uh, announced that he had been called into the national team camp. Uh, obviously, center back is still a major position of concern uh, for the Canadian men's national team. Mandricar James not with the team at this camp as uh, he's actually doing quite well over in Denmark. Uh, he's up in in the first division now after being out on loan previously and uh, getting minutes there. So I would assume that's a club situation. They they want to make sure he gets uh, the the most of the minutes there he can um, at, at this time is that would be massive for his development. But uh, Miller, a player, you know, 21st overall in MLS, usually, you know, that's basically USL fodder, but he's almost instantly been able to, to get into an Orlando city side uh, coming out of Syracuse. So th- that has to be a bit of an exciting one to, you know, at least have another uh, center back option for, for John Herdman. Well, another center back option and another Orlando city option, which is, Almost, you know, Canada's unofficial team with Akindele, <laughs> Johnson, and Miller getting regular minutes for them. It's almost what you'd wish to see all the time from from the Canadian teams. But um, yeah, he'll be he'll be fun to see, and and uh, you know he's he's carved out a spot with that Orlando team, and and we'll see what he can do here. Canada, you know, it's weird to say is is its strength isn't so much in the defensive side of things. So uh, they'll need to find someone and some combination that that will work together and 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 keep the goals out and and stay strong defensively so um who knows if he'll play uh you know you've got experience like daniel henry and david edgar there already but um you know we'll see what we'll see what he can bring and uh, and if he does get some minutes uh, you know especially if the game ends up being close to see how he can you know stand up to to a little bit of pressure John Herdman saying that this team uh, will qualify for the 2022 World Cup. A massive statement, although uh, the fact that it might be a 48-team tournament, uh, he he might have he might have some inside knowledge here that maybe is uh, is making that prediction, uh, you know, a little less bold. Uh, what do you kind of make of that statement? Because I know a lot of Canadian men's national team fans. I mean, obviously, there's a faction that's still very unhappy with his hiring and all the circumstances that went down around his hiring. I feel like uh, certainly the, you know, Canada soccer could have done more maybe to, to make that hiring more understandable, or at least uh, kind of the situation that happened, uh, you know, around that. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of people who, who really criticize him and a big reason for that seems to be, you know, how outspoken and and vocal he is for, um, you know, someone who's just come on the job. Uh, What do you kind of make of, I mean, this is, this is Herdman's MO. He's, you know, he's, he's never been shy about making bold proclamations about uh, either of the programs he's managed so far with Canada. Um, And this just kind of seems to be another one of those. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, it's par for the course for him before the, 
the Women's World Cup, he wrote a, an op-ed in the Globe and Mail saying Canada had no choice but to win the Women's World Cup. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that didn't exactly happen. So, you know, maybe the, the feet will be held to the fire a little bit more for this one. He has come in at, I, I, you know, I've said this before, he's come in at a very fortunate time. Uh, you know, you look at, at, at when Benito Floro came in and there was a mix of guys on the downside of their careers and guys who, like Kyle Lahren, who were still very green. John has inherited an abundance of talent, uh, guys who are getting regular minutes. There's, there's no unattached FC really anymore. Uh, he has options to choose from, and there's been this, uh, you, you know, he has this deeper pool to choose from. You mentioned a bigger World Cup. Um, you know, it's almost all playing into his favor. There, there's so much good fortune <laughs> almost on this Canadian program right now, where that being said, if hypothetically, if it does stay the same size um, and this team not only doesn't qualify, but can't get past the same stage that everyone else has faltered at uh, since mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the 98 World Cup, if, if they can't get to the hex, then questions will, will start to be asked because after all the, the changes that, that came, um, you know, and all that talent that's in the program, if it can't be turned into at least a sign of optimism or, or, or signs that progress is being made, you know, then, then there will be some grumblings that get louder from, you know, from the, from the greater community. Yeah, I think uh, I think the general or or at least the the sensible position right now is that it's just impossible to judge at this point. I mean, uh, I guess early reviews are good in terms of what the players are saying and, you know, the the recruiting, I guess he's been able to do as Canadian men's national team manager in terms of the players he's brought in. But, uh, you know, he hasn't really done anything yet. Uh, well, well, exactly. In, in I mean, it's still, it's still like I said, it's still the honeymoon phase. They've played nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, no offense to the teams they've played, but, uh, you know, Gold Cup coming up, and then then let's see what they can do in Nations League, and I, I'm a broken record every time, those away games in, in Central America. We'll see how mm-hmm. those young, talented players can face in the ultimate leveler, in the heat, hostility, uh, you know, it's, it, it is the... It, it tilts the field and, and having experienced those away games and hopefully get to experience those again. um, I I don't know how you prepare for that. And we'll see how this young generation handles that. And that is, is the yardstick to measure them. Well, speaking of preparation, as, as Canada prepares for Sunday's game, you mentioned French Guiana might be the most difficult opponent they have, uh, you know, in this in this Nations League qualifying so far. Evidently, the last time they played, as you said, uh, they didn't. Well, I guess Florent Maluda didn't really play against Canada, if I remember correctly. He played the the next game and got them DQ'd, but right. um, he was on the roster there and. Uh, you know, this is, this is a team that the last time they played, it was a 4-2 game. They really did need Alfonso Davies, who at the time was 16, to to break it wide open. So what can we kind of expect from, from you know, uh, one of the teams that at least has been, um, you know, in that Gold Cup conversation for this entire Nations League, uh, Nations League qualifying process? They're, you know, they are surprisingly, not surprisingly, I don't want to say that. Uh, they're an organized team. They have skill. They draw from... You know, wherever they can, it is it is a part mm-hmm. of France. So fans, don't be surprised when you hear La Marseillaise prior to the game. Um, <laughs> you know, it, they they draw from that that heritage, and um, so there are some guys who who will have played in 
uh, you know, some decent levels. Uh, you know, there will be there will be lapses. They won't they won't be you know on the level of Honduras or, or what have you. But um, you know, if they were a full on FIFA member, you know, getting to play in World Cup qualifiers, they'd be a team that that you know wouldn't be surprised to get to the semifinal round on a regular basis. Well, there you go. Uh, unfortunately, that means, of course, no FIFA points on the line for Canada, which is too bad considering they've been uh, kind of shooting up the rankings a little bit on the back of, you know, playing more of these official games, which will definitely be helpful for them as they head into Nations League as well and uh, hopefully are able to to up their rankings in time for World Cup qualifying to just make that path uh, a little bit easier. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, this is more of a hypothetical, but with the Canadian Premier League, um, you, you know, launching, there's, there's a lot of talk about potentially who would be the first, um, player from the Canadian Premier League to, to potentially get a Canadian men's national team camp. Obviously it doesn't necessarily help when, uh, as we've mentioned at length, they don't have that many camps, uh, and most of the camps they do have are around more important games. But um, who, who would you potentially look at as as a player who's kind of in the Canadian men's national team pool uh, who might be that first call-up from the Canadian Premier League? Because obviously uh, that's going to be a, a, an important moment for Canadian soccer, you would think. It's uh, Yeah, it's not going to be I, – I, I'm not going to be the first person to say this, but I think it's going to be a defender. Um, when you have a mm-hmm. guy like Luca Gasparato, who who's come through that youth program and has it's played, good. you know, more first team football than a lot of the guys in the program these days. You know, he's up at uh, at York Nine, and um, you know, it, it it would be cool to see a January camp for for you know domestic based players, both MLS and Canadian mm-hmm. Premier League, just because I mean, you look at the Central American teams, and they they do a lot of these domestic camps. So, um, but yeah, it's it. I could be wrong, but it, I would not be surprised if it's a defender. Um, you know, guy like Nick Ledgerwood, you never know, uh, getting a recall at some point. But uh, that's, that's, that's where I'd put, you know, my money. <laughs> yeah, I would have said uh, Marcel de Jong before the, that the big injury he had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that certainly won't be helping his case. Maybe I got like Quillen Roberts, too, uh, if he can kind of regain his, regain his form with Forge FC, considering, again, that national team uh, passed and, and, you know, the potential that, that is there and the, the relative lack of depth at, at the goalkeeping position for Canada as well. Um, another player who's kind of come into the, the conversation around the national team recently is Io Akinola, uh, dual national Canada has been, uh, able to win a couple of these recently or, or win, however you want to put it, uh, getting Estacchio in, getting Balu Tabla, uh, in, this is another one that a lot of, uh, Canadian men's national team fans have keyed on, especially after his performance, uh, this past weekend for Toronto FC with the, uh, in their three, two win over the new England revolution, uh, Pretty incredible solo effort on his first MLS goal. He uh, shrugged by a number of defenders before to, before curling a, a shot into the back of the net. Uh, he's actually currently at US U20 camp, so uh, certainly we, we know where he's leaning right now. He's represented the United States at a number of different uh, youth levels, obviously born there in Detroit, I believe, uh, but grew up in Brampton uh, f- for a while there. Um, it, you know, is, Obviously, this is a player that Canada should be interested in, um, do you think this this is a guy that we could see in the national team in the future? And what's you know it, it's interesting because it's it's almost at a stage where Canada's attack is 
you know, to say nothing of the rest of the team, Canada's attack is kind of close to the U.S. men's national team attack, or at least closer than it's been in a long time. So even if Io does make the switch to Canada, it's not guaranteed that he's going to get any minutes ahead of guys like Jonathan David, Davies, Liam Miller, uh, you know, all kinds of talent that Canada has uh, coming up. Oh, for sure. Especially, I mean, he did play well in uh, in that last game, but we also saw him earlier this season where uh, he wasn't really a factor. So uh, if, if he's mm-hmm. a, you know, consistent, if he finds consistency, uh, it certainly will be much more appealing to the Canadian program just to add to the the growing options that they have. But, uh, you know, unlike, you know, other dual nationals, Canada can't come to him and say, uh, hey, uh, poke, poke, 2026 World Cup, poke, poke, you could play for us. Uh, you know, you've got <laughs> yeah. that with the U.S. where they, you know, they automatic and he has the history with the program. He's played, you know, with them and um, it might be the toughest, dis- you know, toughest attempted conversion for him to make. So, um, you know, this one I'm not, you know, I, I'll believe it when I see it, especially when he's still getting you know, working his way through the U.S. youth program and, uh, you know, maybe leading to a, to a senior call-up. Yeah, I, was, I thought it was funny seeing him run out there alongside Teal Bunbury, and I was like, just just look over at your shoulder, just look at this guy. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully he, be, he turns out to be, you know, a little bit uh, better of a player than Teal maybe. Um, Toronto FC though, uh, switching to them, uh, two wins to start the season, uh, which is kind of surprising considering, you know, certainly how things went in the CONCACAF Champions League and maybe some of the, the, you know, all the happenings around the team to, to start this season when, uh, you know, fans were very much on edge seeing Sebastian Javinko leave uh, among Victor Vasquez and some of the other players and uh, a lack of players brought in. Now, that being said, the the teams they have beaten are currently, you know, uh, in the last two spots in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and they have a, a New York City team coming up with a play after the international break that is a lot better. But, uh, you know, it's it's never a bad thing to, to certainly start the season above the red line um, than, you know, fall well below it as they did uh, to start last season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the, as we've seen in MLS, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But you don't want to get too far behind and, and make the task impossible. So, you know, two wins. Uh, I would have thought that, you know, they might have dropped points in Philadelphia, but they, hey, to their credit, they've, they've plucked out those six points so far and some, some decent enough performances. And we'll see, you know, like, like you said, there are tougher teams to come and, and we'll see how they, they fare against that. But if, you know, hey, you can't fault six points in, in two games right now. They've, they've conceded a few, especially at home, but, um, you know, things, things that I suppose can be worked out and, uh, they'll, they'll continue to, to work on that. Yeah. The big moment, uh, the decisive moment in the game, of course, Josie Altidore coming off the bench for his first appearance of the season after, uh, the, the ankle injury he suffered, uh, you know, during the off season and had surgery on, um, after signing that long-term extension as well with the club to remain a designated player. Um, uh, you know, a pretty incredible moment moment. I know, uh, I know there are still plenty of concerns about his health long-term and whether, uh, he'll continue to be the same player going forward. But, uh, it seems to be, if you need a big moment over the past, uh, you know, a couple of years, Josie Altidore is always your guy, and he, he kind of delivered again in, you know, what was a perfect, uh, I think, return to the field for him. Yeah, not a bad way to, to come back, get the old poacher's goal from, 
from pretty <laughs> close range there. And and yeah, if he keeps you know doing that, where hey, you know, if if his influence diminishes on a ninety minute game, to see that he can come off the bench and and poke home a winner. Uh, you'll certainly like his youthfulness now, or for the next couple of years, whatever role he plays. So, uh, yeah, you know, hey, good on him for coming back and, and getting the winner in, in true poachers fashion and, um, you know, stay fit. And that's what, that's what you can expect from him. Yeah, and uh, a lot of talk about Toronto FC's youth this weekend. Uh, they were the only team actually this season to start an all-North American front six per Christian Jack, uh, that meaning the midfielders and the forwards as well. It's uh, you know it's definitely been a league of, of imports recently as we've seen more uh, European players and certainly some more Central and, and South American players uh, get major roles on teams. Uh, but for Toronto FC, you know, we saw Jordan Hamilton, we saw Jay Chapman uh, get starts, uh, as well as Io, the aforementioned uh, Io Akinola. Um They all did well. Jay Chapman, a couple of assists. Jordan Hamilton getting another goal for himself, and obviously Io getting his uh, first MLS goal as well. So that that was definitely positive to see them, you know, get off to a good start in the season. But once again, uh, you know, you've got Pozuelo coming in now. Josie Altidore is returning. Um, once again, it's it's looking a little tough for all of these guys to get minutes this season. Obviously, uh, I think Hamilton, uh, at, at the very least, um, looks to have pushed himself up the striker rankings a little bit, especially in front of a, a Terrence Boyd, who's had a, a tough start to, to the season. But uh, at the same time, in, in what appears to be a one-striker system for Toronto FC, uh, again, it's looking tough for these guys to, to get minutes, uh, even if kind of the youth movement was uh, a big topic this week. Yeah, I mean, every time, maybe not every time, but the, the, the times that I've gotten the chance to see you know Hamilton get those first team minutes, he seems to score. And I don't know mm-hmm. why you know he, he doesn't continue to get more of a chance. Maybe it is because they have their, their big-name players. But at what point, if you're managing the team, do you go, okay, we may not need you know, to bring in an import higher price player if, if the academy is producing players who can succeed. And I thought, you know, that's the point of the academy. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you're a Canadian talent coming through, especially as an attacking player, um, you know, for it's the toughest position to sort of carve out a spot in because when mm-hmm. teams make their DP signings, their big name signings, they're usually going for goals. And so, uh, you have to you know move heaven and earth in order to to get move them aside and you know to to Hamilton's credit you mentioned Boyd being you know uh, pushed back a bit and Hamilton's moved that aside now we'll just see um, what kind of minutes he can get in a system where where Altador will likely become more prominent I guess you could see him coming on late to try to influence games but um, you know at what point do you see Canadian kids? coming in and, and performing every week and just say, you know, maybe they're ready. Maybe we can, maybe we can give them that spot now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously tough because Toronto FC is definitely a club that, that wants to win now and, and has the kind of financial backing to be able to bring in the, this caliber of player. Uh, at the same time, I wonder if Al, uh, under Ali Curtis, they, I mean, it's something that he's mentioned multiple times, but they do actually try and focus more on this youth movement because, you know, it's it does have to it does get tough at some point to keep signing these checks when you see other clubs around MLS selling on younger players for for major profits and and when there's you know it it gets tough to you know kind of 
spend all this money on the academy as well if none of these players end up getting major minutes in the first team i mean that's the whole point of an academy is either to to sell on players and and make profits or to to kind of reinforce the first team we have seen at least the peripheries of toronto fc have been padded uh decently well with academy kids recently but uh, they continue to to not necessarily get minutes and at the same time, it's you know sometimes you look at the the player decision as well. I mean, um, a guy like Richie Laria who just signed uh, with Toronto FC, um, you know, I, I mean to me he's uh, he's behind Pozuelo, he's behind potentially an Osorio as well, behind Jay Chapman. Where is he going to get minutes on this Toronto FC side? And you'd think that he'd rather go to a club like Forge with the the Sigma connection or somewhere else in, in the Canadian Premier League and and just get playing time. I mean, uh, th- there is something to be said for MLS and and the quality of of player you get to play alongside and and get to you know get built up with. But uh, at the same time, th- those minutes are, are so important for for a young player and. Um, it's it's been tough to see a lot of these guys kind of get log jammed on, on the major MLS sides again and again. Yeah, I mean, it was cool to see that they had signed him. Um, uh, his brother Reggie, I know, has played in League One Ontario. I've had the the fortune of calling a couple Sigma games where where he's there, so it's cool to you know to to get that little bit of homegrown flavor back home. But like you said, I where does he go? Um, you know, there is there is the USL team. You know there is a potential loan to the the CPL, but um, it's hard to. You know there are times where you know you look around and clubs sign players to first team deals, and uh, you know the cynic in you goes, "I'm not going to hear your name until your contract's you know not extended." <laughs> so um, hopefully, yeah. obviously, you know you hope that's not the case, and he can force his way in. But uh, when there's a log jam in certain positions, it's uh, he has a challenge ahead of him, and and we'll see how well he. He rises to that opportunity and, and to, you know, we just talked about Hamilton moving one or two guys aside and staking a claim up front. We'll, we'll see what he can do because he has, he has come in and he has played some MLS down in Orlando. Um, good friend of Kyle Laren as well. They're, they're, they're best of friends. Um, but it's, it's going to be one of those times where we can sort of sit back and, 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 and see what he does with the challenge presented to him. Yeah, speaking of players signing random first-team contracts, for some reason when you mentioned that, I remember the time Mix Diskarud signed a deal with Manchester City, and it was the most confusing thing ever. It was like, he's never even going to like get into training with them. Why the heck? And he's he's on loan to some Swedish team right now, but just one of the more confusing uh, first team deals I've I've ever seen signed. Uh hopefully <laughs> you know, hopefully Richie gets does get some minutes. I, I know there's certainly potential there considering where he was taken in the MLS draft and even some of the uh, the moments we saw with Orlando City, he's got some talent there. So uh, hopefully this is a player who in a new situation could turn things around. But like I said, uh, it, it's becoming increasingly tough to to get those minutes as, as a young player. Um, the, the final thing I did want to mention was was the one very controversial and, and confusing goal Toronto FC scored this weekend. Um, that being the their second goal. Um, scored by Jordan Hamilton, where uh, Iowa Canola seemed to play Jay Chapman completely offside. 
Um, Chapman ran in uh, and and crossed the ball to Hamilton. Uh, credit to him for for not stopping. I mean, I'm pretty sure the assistant raised his flag and then took it down. Um, so you know he he could have very easily stopped and and complained about the pass, which certainly did come uh, you know after he was offside. But uh, in the process, one of the one of the defenders touched the ball backwards, and uh, apparently that's a that's a change to the rule where if a defender tries to make a play on the ball and and makes contact, then it kind of uh, negates the offside rule. Um, that's a that's a tough tough addition to the rule, for my opinion. I think it's going to add more uh, add more controversy as we continue to go here because that was a you know that was a goal where even after the explanation, it was like wow, how is how is that allowed to stand? Yeah, I think John Molinaro of, of Sportsnet wrote a piece sort of explaining how wacky that rule was, and I think it was. I remember also reading where someone said, so if a guy is 15 yards offside, so long as it takes a deflection off someone who makes an effort at the ball that's onside, now that that, that makes no sense. Of course, yeah. the the Canadian gold standard for these sorts of things is uh, Atiba <laughs> Hutchinson, who, who was onside when that ball was played in that infamous Gold Cup game. Um, you know, if if he's ruled offside there, then... Uh, I don't know how Jay Chapman was ruled to be on sides. I, you know, that rule that <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. You, I, I watched the replay just before talking to you, and yeah, when the mm-hmm. ball is played, Chapman is miles off. It's not even close. And yet, because some guy tried to reach out to the ball, it's suddenly on side. Yeah, that that is baffling. And um, you know, we'll see what happens there, but. Stroke of good fortune for TFC. I hope, you know, next time someone complains about the ref, you could just sort of say, yeah, you, you got that one. So it evens out. <laughs> yeah, this did happen to them last season as well. And actually in their in their Champions League game as well, uh, Laurent Simon played a ball or the played kind of a header backwards to, to an offside player that uh, the goal was allowed to count. And it was the same rule, but it was definitely not even close to as egregious as this one was and I don't think Chapman's getting an easier assist or Hamilton's getting an easier goal than that one because most of the the defense stopped up and I don't know it just seems like one of those rules that's that's just going to be so hard to call for referees and and so confusing going forward so like you said we'll continue to see and you know um, I'm kind of looking forward to more of these as the season goes on because there will be plenty of arguing even with VAR (laughs) Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you watch the broadcast, but hearing Brad Friedel just yell expletives into the TSN mic on the sidelines was one of my favorite things I've I've heard so far. <laughs> you know, on a Toronto FC broadcast, that was fantastic. But um, at any rate, uh, let's wrap things up there. Um, as I said, Canada. We'll be playing on Sunday at BC Place. Uh, very much looking forward to that game. Uh, and thanks for joining us to, to tee it up there, Gavin. Hey, thanks for having me. It's it's almost Gold Cup time, which is my my one of my favorite tournaments to cover. So uh, fun summer ahead. And I'll just say one final thing. I know I'm supposed to be objective, but Montserrat against the Cayman Islands. I'm watching this closely. I mean, Montserrat, half the island is an exclusion zone after a, after a volcano, and they're on the precipice of reaching the Gold Cup. And if they can do it, uh, that would just be absolutely spectacular. I, I, you know, Cayman Islands, give them a good fight, give them a good game. But, you know, it'd be an, incredibly, an incredible story to see little Montserrat reach the Gold Cup. I'll leave it at that. But, uh, yeah, Mitch, thanks for having me. 
Yeah, those are the those are the kind of stories that you will only ever get in Concacaf. That's incredible. Um, I'll definitely be keeping a, a half an eye on that game. I probably won't watch it to be honest, but I'll, I'll, I'll look at the score and and yeah, hope, hope for Montserrat to to be uh, one of those teams at the Gold Cup because, like you said, just unbelievable if they can do that. Um, well, yeah, we'll have to have some kind of uh, Gold Cup road show while you're. Uh, <laughs> While you're going around, certainly uh, an exciting tournament for the national team and uh, looking forward to talking more on that. Thank you, everyone, for listening.